some kind of a invocation. Okay, good afternoon. Uh, we are live on Facebook from my personal page and the Presbyterian Voices for Justice page. My name is Andrew Smith, and we're calling this project Justice Devotions. Justice Devotions, this is only our second attempt uh, to do this live stream, and I'm joined today with two of the Presbyterian Church USA staff. Now, it's geographically in Louisville, Kentucky, but they've been mostly working from home, uh, as so many of you have been uh, due to the pandemic. And so my guests on the call today are Pastors Lee Cato and Pastor Denise Anderson. And I, y'all are kind of famous in my world, but um, Denise Anderson is the coordinator for racial and intercultural justice at the PCUSA, and she is uh, the former co-moderator of the Presbyterian Church USA, which is a top executive uh, position in our denomination. So she knows what it's like to be a history-making, trail-blazing woman in top leadership positions. And we also have with us Pastor Lee Cato, who is the editor of Unbound, which is a, a, a social justice intersectional journal uh, that is online at justiceunbound.org. Uh, it's called an interactive journal on Christian social justice. And he is a recently ordained pastor in the PCUSA from my presbytery, the Presbytery of Middle Tennessee, uh, which is uh, Nashville and out here in Cookville. And I've been feeling very convicted to do these uh, virtual kind of, not, not a committee meeting, right? Not a session meeting, not a church service, uh, but these conversations around the topics that we all care about so passionately. Um, but I would like to unpack the last couple of weeks that were terrifying leading up to today and today, which is somewhat more of a celebration of uh, of a new day and something new is going to happen. And I've asked uh, Pastor Denise to kind of get us started with a little bit of an invocation or blessing. So Denise, to you. Excellent. From Mark's Gospel, the fourth chapter. Again, he began to teach beside the lake. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into the boat on the lake and sat there while the crowd was beside the lake on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And he said, let anyone with ears to hear, listen, let us pray. Most gracious and holy God, we give you thanks for the seed of your word. The word that was in the very beginning and through whom all things came into being. And God, we need your word in this new day, in this new epoch in this end of an error. Holy One, we ask that you would till the soil of our hearts so that your word finds fertile ground 
on which to take root and to spring up. Now, as for the seeds of injustice and enmity, the seeds of misinformation and disinformation, let those seeds find inhospitable ground, rocky, thorny, pathy, whatever, God. Give us, God, good seed and help us to be good soil for that seed. In your name we pray. Amen. So there's a part of me that wants to rush the conversation to today, but I, I want to I want to go back. So the the liturgical season of Christmas was punctuated on Epiphany with that event of, of two weeks ago. So how was that day for you, each of you, and how have you been uh, prayerfully and also thoughtfully and theologically and social justicely, politically dealing with that with that moment? We've had two weeks to process it, um, and I think at least in my case, my attention has been quite a bit on you know the the theology of the day, and I've gone into this dark dwelling of trying to understand uh, the theology of QAnon and Christian fundamentalism and white nationalism from a spiritual and religious perspective. But I'm just curious for each of you how that's going. Uh, and we'll start with Lee since Denise spoke first, but then let's just take a couple of minutes and we'll do this kind of like a little bit around the screen here. Um, and I'll, I'll prompt you all with topics. And then I just am here to hear your wisdom and to join you in, in conversation and also if we get it, we do have some folks watching live. So if we get any comments on the live stream as well, we might uh, lift up some of those comments as well. But this is uh, just a, a live stream. I'm calling it Justice Devotions. We've got two fantastic guests from the PCUSA and uh, Lee Cato is going to share how he's been handling things since the, the strangest epiphany ever. Yeah, uh, well, thanks for inviting me on here. I am normally not on this end of something like this. I'm normally the host and <laughs> some of the things that I do. But 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 yeah, January the 6th was probably a day I will not forget. And I was actually just talking to a colleague and friend, uh, Mel Lowry, and Mel called me that day as it was happening. Um, and I told her, I said, I'm really glad you called me so we could both kind of hold that space to kind of process it together and to, to watch it together and just kind of, you know, like, because we're, we are socially distanced and um, just to be with somebody else to just kind of just sit in it. And, and I'm very grateful for that. And and just to have and just to have that space to process it um that there was not a surprise that this happened um it was it was a it was a shock to see it in a space that you would you would think would be very secure and it would not have gotten like that it, i wasn't surprised that it happened so i wasn't processing that because i growing up in rural south carolina um i i know i know this i i, I see it um i've experienced that rhetoric and i've seen that and that was not a surprise to me 
But I think for a lot of people, and it happened on Epiphany, which is a which is a moment of revealing. It was a moment of epiphany. It's, it's shining light on something um, that Amanda Gorman today said was in the shade. You know, it's shining light on something that has always been a part of America, the founding of it, white supremacy. And I think for many people, it is, it, it's me processing the reactions of others that were so shocked so surprised, um, so disgusted when Adam when when it has been this way, and and I also think in juxtaposition of the capitalist called the temple of democracy, and we published something by my my former boss about using the language of what we see as sacred, and really what what is that saying to us, um, and how we worship in some ways, this nation, um, instead of worshiping the God that it's under, one nation under God, I think those lines have been so blurred. And so, yeah, just that processing that in that moment of, of wow, people, people are shocked about this. And I think that that is, that for me, was my like was the epiphany moment um, that that I think yeah was very uh, impactful and still processing it. Um, so I live in Louisville, Kentucky, but D.C. area is home for me, and so this was very personal uh, to the extent that. You know, we've got people who are Capitol Police officers. We've got people who are, of course, working from home right now, but who generally work in that area of the building uh, or of the city, rather. Um, I've got um, friends, colleagues, and former parishioners who all live nearby. And so for me, I was sharing with some colleagues that the same feelings that were bubbling up for me on the 6th were those same feelings that were bubbling up on 9-11 and being in the area as well. And um, Lee, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up what you brought up about um, the, uh, the viewing of our institutions and of our buildings as sacred. And I was very clear that what was making me so sad wasn't so much the destruction of a building, but what was intended to be communicated to a people and what was going to, if they had gotten their way, happen to people and whom that was really supposed to terrorize. Um, and that is people like me, because all of this um, is around misinformation spread about um, an election in which people like me participated en masse and with great enthusiasm, and that was being delegitimized. Um, so much of the imagery, of course, was not surprising. I, I, I labor in the church. I hear what's said. Um, I'm with white folks all the time. And so I, I, I know that conflation of um, Christian symbology and, um, and, and, and nationalism. 
I, I hear that all the time and not just from white folks, but definitely from a decidedly white supremacist perspective. Um, it was unsettling, but again, not surprising to see both gallows and a cross erected in front of the Capitol building. I mean, both, um, both instruments of state sanctioned terror and death and murder of course, they're right beside each other, especially in the context in which they were placed. Um, but to your point about it being epiphany, I, I, I've been going back to the epiphany story and I preached this and I had no idea how prescient that sermon would be, but I preached the Sunday before epiphany and I talked about um, Herod a lot and Herod's duplicitousness was one thing, and the spirit intervened among the Magi and told them, Look, don't go back to Herod, go back to where you came from by another way, subvert him altogether. And so it reminds me of our call to subvert and to frustrate the plans of evil. Um, but when we do that, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that things will get better. We organized our tails off for this last election and we got some serious work done. And then Herod ordered a massacre in response to being one-upped. And that's what happens when you fight for justice. A lot of times it gets a whole hell of a lot worse before it ever gets better. And so Herod is going to rage, Herod is going to um, throw a tantrum, Herod is going to be as murderous as he's ever been, if not more so, but we don't have to help him do that. We cannot afford to participate. And, and, when, we, and when we subvert evil, the onus is not on us for what, what evil does because we've subverted it. I hear all of this argument about, well, we can't impeach because that will further divide the country. First of all, the country's already divided. Second of all, since when is the threat of someone's um, evilness and dangerousness enough to stop you from doing the right thing, elected official? I saw my Senator Mitch McConnell this whole summer in the months leading up to the election in which he was ultimately reelected, call us who were protesting in the streets of Louisville after Breonna Taylor was killed, violent mobs. And then the violent mob visited was visited upon him. That was a real violent mob. I watched him mischaracterize us and mischaracterize his opponent um, who had said when, when um, Trump was elected, she felt like she felt on 9-11. Um, and, and I saw him um, spin that. And yet we've had a 9-11 daily for months now. That election was worse. Four years ago, we were told by the most um, optimistic among us that, you know, we're going to be okay. no. People like me knew we were not going to be okay. And here we are, some 400,000 people who were there then aren't there today. We didn't all make it here. I have two, fr I have two friends that, uh, that voted in early voting because they wanted 
their vote to be one of the last things they did on earth, but they died before election day, so their vote could not be counted. And one of them is the Reverend Murphy Davis from Baltimore, from the Open Door community, formerly of Atlanta, Georgia. And, and she was a, a death penalty abolitionist and, and witnessed and sat on, on death row and visited death row and worked with her partner, Edward Loring, uh, to end homelessness and to, and to provide a house of hospitality, a, a Presbyterian Catholic worker house or a Protestant Catholic worker house in, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And, 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 and she voted in October, but she died before a, a election day and she could not have that vote counted. But I was thinking about that. This is uh, something you said, Denise, that made me think of several calls that I've been on where it's very specific votes that they were going after. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm from Detroit originally, so they were going after the votes in Detroit. I've got family mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. They're going after the votes uh, in Philadelphia. I have uh, and then there's Milwaukee and, of course, Atlanta. They were going after the votes in these urban areas specifically. Um, and also this epiphany, I was ready. Tuesday night I went to, bed, went, went to bed, and all I was thinking about Tuesday night was Raphael Warnock. And uh, John Ossoff from Georgia, that's what I went to sleep on Tuesday night thinking about. And then Wednesday morning, I woke up thinking about them and it looked like they had won, but I still was a little bit holding my breath. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, we were we were driving that day and I uh, turned on turned on the radio in the afternoon. And and it was it was so terrifying. Uh, and we were we were trapped in a hotel in uh, in Mississippi, and it had been beautiful weather on our road trip, and it started to pour the rain. And my wife had an allergic uh, reaction to some food, and she was she was vomiting, and and it was raining, and that was on the news. And I was like, okay, I I, I got you. I'm not allowed to celebrate uh, 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 Georgia yet, but I've been feeling, and and I wonder if if this is a, a bad path for me to go down, but I've been feeling that so often religious language in progressive circles because of the need for and the affirmation of inclusion and of, it's such a cliche, but of kumbaya. Like I'm always on the kumbaya team. I'm always like, there's a place at my table for you. I've set a place at the table for you. But I've been feeling liturgically and, and, and sermonically for myself anyway, the language of admonishment, rebuke, and exorcism lately, that this need to, to name evil as evil. Mm. And, I, and, and there's so many things that are wrong with the religious right today. But one of the things I've seen is the misuse of charismatic gifts, the misuse of discernment and prophecy. There's all these rogue prophets on the right, and they still think Trump's president. And like they're prophesying that there's going to be some catastrophic. Well, they would they would call it miraculous, but there's going to be some catastrophic, you know, Twilight Zone X Files kind of moment between now and tomorrow. So where mm. you know Biden, I saw that uh, I was watching TV right up before I got on the call. Biden had a stack of executive orders on his deck desk as tall as the stack of books behind me. <laughs> they were <laughs> running off. I, I guess what I want to ask you this: I'm, I'm, I wasn't sure if I, this would come up in the call, but I feel like I want to go go big or go home. Sorry to quote my students there, but that's the way they talk. Um, do we need do we need a new confession? I was thinking of this, do we need the confession of 2021? Do we need to name this thing and profess our faith in Jesus and confess that that ain't Jesus? 
you know, I've, I've heard the line. Let me just throw it to you this differently. And now, then I'll, I'll, I'll stop. And then we'll go back around the circle the backwards way, Denise and, and, and then Lee. Do we need to, um, do we need to deal with the fact that sometimes when they say Jesus, they're not talking about the same Jesus. I've always wanted it to be the same Jesus. But lately I've been wondering when they're talking about, you know, the angels that are going to somehow miraculous, miraculously slash catastrophically make Trump president again by tomorrow. And, and they do that in the name in the name of Jesus. I think they're taking his name in vain. I don't know if, I, if that's wrong or not for me to say that. But but what do you think? Denise, and then Lee, just hop on right after she's done um, before I speak again. Yeah, I'm grateful that Jesus is smarter than all of us mm. and that God does answer prayer. I mean, I listened to the prayers um, that were coming specifically. Maybe you don't want to name names, but um, I, I, I listened to the prayer that Paula White prayed and that prayer was answered. Yeah. God did exactly what she asked God to do. Um, and you mentioned Kumbaya. I want to say that Kumbaya is an exorcism prayer. Mm. I mean, it, and, and I, I know that we misuse that. And Lee, I, you know, I, I wrote a piece for Unbound um, talking about mm. Kumbaya, but that being this um, enslaved African pigeon construction of come by here, Lord. So when you dispatch God to come by here, come by somewhere. And the, and these are people who are just, who are asking God to come by here because I am being oppressed. I am downtrodden. I, I'm, I've been um, lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated. I've been mute. I've been stoned, scorned. So God come by here because when you come by here, justice has to prevail. When you come mm -hmm. by here, something has to change. So come by here, kumbaya really is a rebuke. It is an exorcist prayer. It is a prayer that breaks up all of that foul stuff. And so we have, in the same way that we have done with so many people, Jesus included, we just celebrated MLK. We do this with his legacy. We have um, sort of sanitized and diluted the original intention of what that actually is. And that is black folk praying for the angels from Africa to come by here and, and, to inter and to interrupt and intercede on their behalf and to show up in their situation and change their situation. So I'm all for more kumbaya. People keep talking about they want healing. They want that. Great. Yes. Let's heal. You do know that healing is hard, right? Like mm time I've ever had to heal from something that I was seriously injured from, like a, a, a you know, a fall or a, a surgery that went awry, that healing process was incredibly hard. And I had to have the right diagnosis and I had to accept the diagnosis. And then I had to accept the treatment plan, even and especially when it called me to do some uncomfortable and difficult things, including physical therapy. But without doing that difficult work, I could not heal. So yes, I'm all for healing. You don't know what you're asking for, but you're asking for the right thing. It's just that yeah. when you get it, it's not gonna look like how you expected it. And as for, do we need a new confession? I think we're good on listening to the confessions that we already have. Like, let's start there. I mean, maybe, I don't know that we're there yet, but at the very least we can do, we could do is revisit what we already have. 
Yeah, I was going to echo that. I, was, I think we need to listen to the ones we have before we go out and make more. Um, and I think that in many ways, I think that is a default in this specific church. Let's write a confession. Let's put it in words. And and maybe not let's, you know, let's act or let's put it in our souls instead of putting it in words. You know what I mean? And I think that for specifically for the church and for like the political rhetoric that's going on now and Biden in, in the inaugural speech was all about unity, all about these things. But as a reformed tradition, we are a confessional church. And I grew up in the middle of South Carolina and we always talked about sin. We always talked about repentance it might have been in a different context and we were told to repent of things that were God given and we were made in the image of God of. But but in that tradition of confession and repentance, I think we have lost that. And I think we have lost this to name evil and to talk about evil because it's real. Evil is real and it is around us and it is a, it is forces that are swirling around us and it is here. And I watched that Paula White video about every other day when she's talking about and strike and strike and and call like we have to have some sort of rhetoric and and this progressive or however you want to claim that but we can't just yeah we can't skip over the accountability and the confessional part and the repentance part and the re and the repairing part um, and I and that is my fear in this and and what is happening right now. Uh, politically is that we are so focused on an end goal that is nowhere near or I don't think we even know what that looks like. And so I don't I think skipping over it and just thinking that everything's OK. I'm, I live in Tennessee and we have senators who were going to go against the election are still proclaiming these false, bearing false witness, being false prophets out here. And then you think, oh, well, because the Capitol got uh, was raided and almost destroyed by terrorists, you then decided that maybe that was the line you weren't going to cross. And then you took your vote back that you were you, you were actually going to um, say this election wasn't uh, fraudulent. And it and it but you are perpetuating like you are bearing false witness and you are, and that is also a part of faith. And that's the question we're going to have to ask ourselves as people of faith is what is truth? Like we are called to, we are called to proclaim the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that is, that is also something we are witnessing. And that is also the culture of white supremacy. It is creating realities that are not that do not exist and create and and creating a reality that that you are telling yourself and i fully i fully believe that it is intent i mean it is intentional you are telling yourself a reality that doesn't exist and you're going through and, and you're living it out in your life because you don't want to face the truth and the truth is hard I've had to face many truths and that is very, very hard to do. But as Denise said, healing is hard and it hurts. I got a paper, I got a paper cut yesterday and I put 
like I put like little unaccepted like alcohol and it burned like hell and that hurts. And that but that's what you need. Like you sometimes you need to be told the truth and sometimes that's going to hurt. And that is often disguised or veiled as being abrasive or you're not playing in the team or you're always pessimistic or you don't really want unity. You're playing into this uh this um this partisanship. No, we're not playing into the partisanship. We're just telling you the truth. Like this is the truth. And if you can't handle it, if you can't process that, then that is something that people have to investigate within themselves. And and this is not a head thing for me. Like this is like you can't read yourself out of this stuff. It is a soul working. It is soul work that has to be done. And sometimes, and I, and the question I always have to ask myself is what if that, what if that soul can't change? Like, what if that, what if that, what if people, some people are not going to hop on the boat or they're not going to get on board and and I and I don't know what to do with that. I think some people have. I think me as a white person, I have to do that work to reach out to those folk as much as I can. But I also think how much energy do we put in to people who may never have that have that soul changing? Because it does take that. We're Presbyterian. We think we can think out of it. But this is like spiritualness because we're working in the spiritual realm, and I fully believe that. Amen. Yeah. I'll never forget in 2014, I, 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 or I'm sorry, 2016, summer of 2016, very uh, prescient moment. I think you already used that word. I should have come up with another one. But I, I remember getting into a debate about somebody about spiritual warfare. And I was starting to wonder if that spiritual warfare language had become too toxic. And I kind of dismissed spiritual warfare in a social media post. And I took a lot of shade from uh, fellow believers on it. And next thing I knew, I was in this long, uh, protracted spiritual warfare situation that might still uh, that might still be going on. So, you know, I think we have to I, I don't think I really don't think that religious liberals, religious progressives, religious people on the whatever they call the Christian left, that we need to be allergic to some of this language. And and I did not know, but I posted it in the uh, in the comments, uh, Denise, about your article about Kumbaya. But I I'm all I'm all all about that. Um, um, he, hear me on this a little bit because it responds to what you were just saying, uh, Lee. And I would like I'd like to, Denise to uh, to respond to what you were just saying too about you know do we do we cut these people loose? What do we do? So I had a um, a, a lifetime uh, sibling, a secular sibling from the activist scene from way back when I was sunfrog and long hair and getting arrested all the time. And uh, he does a podcast from Portland when he is. Uh, you know, quarantined, and he had a an allegedly reformed white supremacist on his podcast the other day, and I think it was very poorly timed. He did it after the attack on the Capitol, and according to my my intel, this guy isn't really that reformed, or it's, it's ambiguous whether he was reformed. But he was a high profile member of the uh, Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. And then he was one of the organizers of the White Lives Matter rally in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I'm a graduate of MTSU in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And my daughter, my only child, my only girl child was living in Murfreesboro blocks from where they were going to have their little their little rally. So um, I've been kind of 
distancing myself. Uh, I, I might even be quote canceling this guy who did this podcast because I'm pretty uh, pretty teed off about it. Um, and I was thinking about this also, and I, I hope you all don't have friends in QAnon. Um, and I hope you haven't had to spend as many hours as I've spent the last two weeks reading up on QAnon trying to get up. But for some reason, being a, for, a former or current hippie, I got obsessed with the shaman dude. And so I've been reading a lot of, uh, of the articles unpacking that. And what's really interesting is that in the um, hippie and new age and yoga communities, uh, and this is like, I'm talking to everybody from like, you know, people who are into crystals, people who go to Grateful Dead concerts, people who are into uh, breathwork mantras, the whole alternate spirituality scene. I over, My Christianity overlaps with that, and my experience does as well. And uh, and they're all, but all these hippies are like having these purity tests, and they're all like wringing their hands. They can't believe there's there's QAnon in the hippie scene. And I, I, I joked, I said, we Christians have been dealing with some weird messed up folk in our scene since at least the fourth century, maybe since the, the beginning, you know. So about this idea of what is truth and about this idea about what to do with these people, um, the they had a nickname for Pence. They called him Pontius Pence. That's their nickname for, on the right for, for Pence is, is Pontius Pence. And, and, and when I'm thinking about friends that cavort with the, with the far right and who make, you know, these outrageous statements that like, you know, hashtag BLM is violent. The attack on the Capitol was okay. And, oh, here, would you like to sign my free Kyle Rittenhouse t-shirt? You know, like, I'm at this place where I just don't know that I, I have anything to say to these people, and and Lee, I know you're referencing maybe like like cousins and stuff, you know, like uncles and cousins and former high school roommates and all this. You know, I'm sorry, high school classmates and stuff. I hope I didn't have. Well, if you went to boarding school, I guess you could have a roommate in high school too. No, but we anyway, didn't do that. Anyway, right? So so you're saying, I mean, what do we do about this? I don't know. What do we do about? What about what do we do about these folks? Do we just do we just let them go? I have, um, Denise, as you know, I, I lost my job, and Lee, you know this too, as a, as a pastor over some of these issues. And I had a mentor, um, as being a, a fairly new CRE, the Presbytery, you know, assigned me a mentor who's an older retired pastor. And I would always call him up about these problem people in the congregation, you know, Ms. So-and-so, so-and-so. And, -so, so -and, -so. and uh, one day he said to me, and, and his favorite advice was, you don't have to do anything. You, there's nothing you can do about this. For a codependent like me, that was great to hear. But he said, sometimes you just need to let them, let those weeds float in the breeze. Do we need to let these people go or do we need to do an intervention or like, you know, I mean, and, and how do we do I know in, on my social media, I've been using a lot of this invective lately, but I know I'm preaching to my people to kind of rev us up. I have not, I'm not trying to change them through through my invective. And it's also ther therapeutic uh, as well. But what do we do about those people? And what do we do about the fact that there is no agree? You even prayed about this at the top of the call, Denise. There is no agreed upon truth. you alluded to it too, that this is a spiritual thing. Lee and Andrew, you both said it. This is, I really do believe that so much of what the um, proliferation of misinformation is, is undergirded by spiritual forces. And so I, I don't, 
know or, or nor do I care if one fancies himself a, a progressive Christian or a Christian left or what have you. What I do know is that some things don't come out but by prayer and fasting and but by our spiritual disciplines. Um, now that said, I, I think so much of what happens in those spiritual disciplines is work that we do on ourselves. Like we're going to pray and we're going to find that God deals with us about some things. And what I hope we see clarity on is what our work actually is. Like it might be an intervention for that person with whom you actually have a great rapport and who still might respect what you have to say. And maybe you have the gifts and the graces to reach that person in a, a place where truth can reach and that intervention or, or that just love will be received and prove effective. Um, but I'm also mindful that there were times when Jesus sent out his folks to do what he told them to do and said, if they don't receive you, knock the dust off of the sandals. I mean, sometimes that's the appropriate um, way to go about it too. Um, I know that we're living in a time and, you know, nothing is new under the sun, but for so many years now, misinformation has been allowed to promulgate and, and proliferate. And only now are we seeing the more powerful um, vehicles putting their foot down and saying, no, not here. Now, I mean, it took the breaching of the Capitol and the death of some souls for that to happen, which is super unfortunate, but I guess better late than never. Um, and so I'm holding out hope and, and we know that misinformation has drastically reduced um, on the interwebs as a result. I'm hopeful that that might make a difference, but you know, my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus, blood and righteousness. And there were a whole lot of lies um, promulgated about Jesus in his day and about his followers and every other day thereafter. And so many are the afflictions of the righteous, but who are we going to be in the midst of that? Again, we don't have to help Herod be Herod. We can provide that resistance. I mean, it might, we might find ourselves on the same, in the same boat as Jeremiah, just put out and put upon by everybody for telling the truth. And yet that's our call. That's that fire that's in our bones. It has to come out. And so at some point we're going to have the spiritual disciplines are going to be effective for the world, but they're going to be effective and, 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 and be impressed upon us as well. We're going to have to figure out who we are going to be in the midst of all of this. And that's what I truly believe. Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, and clarifying, uh, my family has come a long way and I'm very proud of them for how far they've come. So I'm not gonna uh, talk um, too bad about them out there. So a family, if you're listening to this, I'm taking up for you a little bit. Um, but, I, but I do think that, I do think it's gonna take a lot of discernment upon, upon people who, who have just kind of sat back and pointed fingers. And I think a lot of those people who classify themselves as maybe progressive or less Christian, whatever it had be, 
that pointing the finger, yeah, call out, but what do you, but are you spending the energy and this and the spiritual energy on putting yourself, putting yourself as a person of privilege, I, I will say this for white uh, progressives, putting yourself as a person of privilege into these conversations instead of simply saying like pointing the finger at people. When I and and I say that because I think there is a role for some people. I think there is a spiritual gift for some people to step into these places and say, "Let's have a conversation." But nobody should nobody should be expected to step in the, these conversations or these spaces who is going to get hurt by them. And I think that is also a, a different dynamic and a different question to, that we should be asking ourselves. Are we just the ones that are 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 speaking at a the privileged are just speaking through a megaphone and not actually getting down to it and say, why don't you go have a group in like, why don't like get out of the bubble a little bit and have conversations, white people with white people. And I will even say this for the queer community. When, when we're having these types of conversations, and I think about this because of COVID, we're, we are in a pandemic right now. And there's a big conversation right now in the queer community when there's all these parties and things that are happening. And it's like the queer community is, you know, like there's not a, they're, they're just having these, these things and kind of ignoring the fact that there's a pandemic out there. But I do think that that we have to discern within ourselves whether or not we are gifted to do this kind of work and whether and, and to not put ourselves in harm's way. Now, I'll go have a conversation with somebody that is where I'm from in a heartbeat because I have done that work. And I think it is it is my responsibility as a white man to go into these places and talk to people in my own context and have these kinds of conversations. But I do think that takes a lot of discernment and some people aren't ready for that because you need to do the work within yourself first. Um, but I am of the I am also of the school that at some point, if you're not willing to do that inner work. Then there is there is a time where you draw the line and say, then for your own well-being and your own soul, that that there is. And a lot of this, a lot of this, these types of conversations happen in ministry. How far do you go? You know, like how far do you go to to really help someone, even if it's physically, you know, or um, anything like that? How far do you do you go without, you know, um, exhausting yourself or or sacrificing too much? And so, I do think it's a discernment question. But I do think that many people need to have that conversation with themselves instead of pointing the finger. Because when you point the finger, you move you move the spotlight completely away from yourself. And I read something once, and and I and I want to say, and I I want to say it was by Cornell West that many white people, progressives, um, of privilege keep the focus on poor white people in order to keep the focus on them so they can themselves keep their privilege. And if we continue to do that, 
and and then that that narrative is false because there were there were entrepreneur there were CEOs at the Capitol. There were people. There were people of very highly economical like privilege at this Capitol. And I always tell people, don't let appearance. Don't let that. We have this mentality of what outward racism. I go back to that Taylor Swift. Um, music video that bothered me so much because the people outside of there was a music video of Taylor Swift. You can all can look it up. She's in a trailer park and it's rainbow color, but on the outside of it, there were protesters in flannel, you know, missing teeth, mullets, white people. And there is this mentality that that is what, you know, there, there is a correlation between that is what you don't want to be. But these, the people at the Capitol, these people took private planes there. These people were CEOs. And I think we also had to have that conversation. Is that why, who are we classifying as what and how dangerous that is? Because it's, it's when it, and everything, because that's the intersectionality of this conversation. It, it crosses economics. It crosses all types of things. It's not just the people who you think it is. Um, so I think that conversation too. Before today's festivities, 12 guardsmen were taken mm. off the detail because of some apparent or suspected connections to some of these fringe movements. These are people in the guard. Mm. So this is everywhere. Yeah. The part that's so terrifying to me, and I've I've really dissociated myself a lot with a lot of my friends on the right. And then I, I think I have some friends that I work with. Uh, I work at a university, but we're in a very conservative town. So it is really split. You know, it's one of these mixed environments ideologically and also cultural backgrounds, geographically, so many different ways. And I think there's certain people, you know, that are just, they just kind of know who I am and they know it, that's Andrew on Andrew's soapbox. And so they just kind of leave me alone. But I've had, to, I've had to cut ties on social media with a lot of people because I don't have, I can't emotionally handle doing some of that work, you know, via social media. And I've even, you know, muted somebody on the socials and then called them up on the phone and tried to have a conversation. But, but the, the scary part about it is, is there are some folk that have the right information and they, uh, and they're not, you know, an overt racist and they, they've just, and they, and they seem to have a contemplative kind of spiritual path. I, I know some of these guys in 12 step communities and, and that's the only way I'd be friends with them, but they're, they're firmly entrenched in, in MAGA, you know, they're firmly entrenched in Trumpism and they have all their little rationales for why they do it. But, but it's not, I, like you said, we can't Lee, you said we can't teach out of it, you know, but I had a conversation over the summer where I tried to kind of have that hard conversation with a friend. Cause I just love this person so much. And it just didn't go very well. I think he ended up, you know, kind of having a resentment against me. We're still friends, but we we haven't spoken of it since, and I know that he hasn't. It didn't change how it didn't change how he voted. Though I, I I do know that this friend did say right away on like November 9th or something that Biden was the president. So at least he was at least he hadn't gone on that. And maybe he changed. Um, I, we, we're going to wrap up soon, so I want to change the subject to today for just a minute. But um, one of the things I find interesting is I've been studying um, some of this. The, the fringes of the far right prophetic movement as it intersects with QAnon is that they really like 
signs. They really like these kind of like really overwhelming signs and everything really is a sign, you know, cause they're, they watched uh, Trump's videos and they'll like have code and hand mm -hmm. gestures and, you know, they watch everything. So I'm going to try to do a share screen here and I hope I can, um, uh, 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 figure out which, how to do this. Yes. Hopefully this is going to work and hopefully you all can see that. Can you all see that screen I yeah. just shared? So mm -hmm. that is the day. And I have seen, you know, um, really kind of just old school Southern believers who see God in everything, post pictures of these kind of skies all the time. I was on my walk home. I was at, I was at the park doing my workout and God spoke to me in the sky. And I've, I go back and forth in my own mind if I think God speaks in the sky or not. I've had some moments where I thought God was talking to me in, in the sky, but this is the sky over the Capitol during the invocation. It was like the day that here in Cookville, very conservative Cookville, there was a rainbow over a gay pride rally in Cookville one day. You know, at the same time when like marriage equality happened, there was a rainbow in the sky. So here it mm. says, uh, the, the person who tweeted that says the light from the heavens breaking through the Capitol just as the in invocation was given. And here it is. There's the light shining down on what happened today. So um, let's turn away from that conversation as important as it is trying to make sense of where we're, what we're coming out of. And and let's uh, I'll let each of you kind of leave us worth a word, uh, a word of where you're at uh, as far as some of your hopes and prayers for the new administration, or maybe just some things you saw today that were significant for you spiritually or, or theologically, or just personally. Um, and we'll go, we'll go reverse the circle one, one last time. So uh, Lee to you, and maybe you can speak to this picture or anything else. If you watched TV today or you were on, on Twitter, or we can talk, uh, or, or we'll, we'll talk nice about Bernie's mittens. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, I love that picture. I mean, <laughs> If you're if you're that secure that you can just do your own thing and just sit there, like I'm all about it. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I am I am kind of of the old school of I I see that kind of stuff too, um, and it might be how I was raised. Um, but I but I did I did notice, and one of the things it wasn't today, but it was last night when the COVID memorial happened. And there was a picture of, I mean, uh, with with the lights, um, but there was a picture of the light beams coming up at night. There was like a fog and you could see it. And, and for me, that is, um, yeah, for me, just, just to, to see that and to see how the interaction of creation, like there was a fog within the midst of that to show like and to mourn and like publicly about that and i wanted to mention that too because it was one of the first times like the nation could see something and kind of have a public mourning time to really like take it in because it's so much death it's so hard to kind of digest that but to see that and and to see that fog but also um for today there was a little bit of snow and somebody I was talking to called that like a little heavenly confetti, you know, like there was like a little bit of snow coming down. And, and I also really appreciated the fact that, um, 
that that there was a part of today where young people had a voice with Amanda, um, a young person of color. That was really powerful in juxtaposition to the oldest president we've ever elected and seeing and seeing so much and to seeing so much focus put on older individuals within our government in general. But to have a young voice like that, like for me, that was really important to say, like, like this can be a part of this, too. Like we have to continue to listen to young people um, in this moment um, to speak truth, because she spoke for me. She spoke more truth than Biden did um, this to acknowledge where we're at, um, I think was very powerful for me but um but yeah those little glimpses and those little moments that i think yeah that can only be described as god in the midst of it all and i'm a full believer in that i see god in nature all the time and i think that that is well important and it was it was also good to see a national narrative um of what being a person of faith is now we can also have a conversation that how intermixed do we want our faith to be in our politics that is another thing but i do think it was good to see just a little bit of the other another side of what people of a person of faith can speak to um so yeah yeah, I'm totally down with signs. I feel like God has always spoken to humanity in language that humanity understands. And if you are impressed by the light beams coming toward the Capitol and that speaks to you, hallelujah, amen. Absolutely, fantastic. Um, so there's a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about Biden and his faith. Um, and, you know, I always say that I don't vote for a pastor. So, I mean, whatever you profess is less important to me than how you live. And yet there's also this conversation about the president as a moral leader and him bringing his morality through the lens of his faith, but you know, just more holistically his, his morality to this. Um, and what we are seeing right now is an acknowledgement of the immense grief and the process that it's going to take to usher the electorate into a new thing. Because if you don't grieve what has happened to you, you really set yourself up for failure if you try to go into something new. And so with yesterday's ritual, I can, I can certainly, as a person, as a leader of faith, um, appreciate um, just laying that out there. And it's going to be interesting to see how that continues because I, I, I really think this, this <laughs> the electorate is going to need some therapy after all that we have been through, um, whatever side of the aisle that you are on. Um, and it's also interesting to me, um, uh, Vice President Harris, who is my sorority sister, who is a fellow Howard University Bison, um, all of those things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy about this and, and just the constant 
sequential nature of her election as the first woman, the first person of color, first person of African descent, first person of South Asian descent, um, how she grew up um, being raised by an Indian mother who knew her daughters were going to be racialized as black. And so she raised them to be black women and to understand their blackness and also to understand their Indian heritage. And her having this sort of racial um, lens that no one in her position has ever had. And um, so she brings all of these aspects of her humanity, um, grew up in the Black Baptist Church and Hindu temple, married to a Jewish man. And so there is this interesting religious landscape um, in the White House right now that we have never had. And so it'll be interesting to see how that impacts how that team governs. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of hopeful for that and really looking forward to that. Hush, uh, leave me alone. I'm not talking to you right now. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to how that plays out just as a faith nerd. And then I'm also concerned of the fact that I'm not in lockstep completely with anything or, or excuse me, with everything that they do. They're, they're, they still promote um, policies regarding Israel-Palestine that really disturb me. There's going to be a lot that I, I'm going to take issue with. And so that reminds me, well, nobody's just completely throwawayable. Like I would not want to throw them away. Like if anything, I would want to see if I can entreat and, and maybe move some something on those areas where I, I really see some um, need for engagement. Um, so, I mean, I'm hopeful. I don't know if I'm relieved just because there's just, you know, you don't flip a switch and just the last four years go away, but I'm hopeful and I might have some energy now to stay in the fight. We, we surely know, uh, as you alluded, that Trumpism is real and that it's not going to go away, but this is a new day. It's mm -hmm. former president and former vice president. And I'm glad you said that last little bit because that was a, a topic maybe for another time because we're going to wrap this up. But but I did want to leave leave a, a little bit of a, a post-it note on that last thing you were talking about when you mentioned Israel-Palestine because just in general. So in my community, um, I have a kind of liberal and and more further left politics that are that interweave in myself and in how I how I work as an activist here in the part of the South that I'm in. Anybody, you know from moderate on down has to work together because we're, we're in such a minority here, right? My county, Putnam County, Tennessee, is a very strong uh, MAGA county. Trump, Trump took the county very strongly, but, but Bernie won the primary here, barely, but he won the primary in my county. So, um, uh, and I've got people that are outside, you know, our, our socialists and anarchists and people like that on the left that I, that I love. And a lot of them are so have so much anxiety about about Biden Harris because of some of the kind of key things, and and I'm sure you all have seen the the dossier. I'm not going to repeat all that right now, but but they have, they, they came in today with so with so much with so much anxiety. But I guess my my, my I'm a Libra. I want I want to be a both and and not an either or person. I came into today weeping and, and and I did get a palpable uh sense of of, of of relief today but I've been in the I've been in the fight my whole life but I definitely noticed that there was times during the eight years of President Obama where I went into a lull in terms of my vigilance and for me 
I don't know how you all exactly do it, but I, I, I intuit that there's some similarities between the three of us here. I, my activism and my faith are, are, are so intertwined that, that what motivates me to be an activist is my relationship with Jesus. And uh, my relationship with Jesus motivates, motivates everything else, other aspect of my life. The two are, and that was how I was raised. It was always the same thing. I have this uh, friend who was a, uh, a, a liberal or left Christian hippie back in the sixties that I did some interviewing about and writing about. And he, when he was coming of age, he always talked about everything that he was doing. He said, it was always the same thing. He, he said, there was no, there was no not church. Everything was church mm-hmm. to him. It was just the way that, that, that he did, that he did life. So it's all to me, it is liturgy. It is church. It is, you know, um, and I, I understand why some people uh, get offended by the secular religion and when they refer to the sacred temple of our democracy. I mean, there's a lot of bureaucratic pomp and circumstance and there is the, you know, the military industrial complex. And I don't need a fake conspiracy to look at the legacy of of the United States, you know, in history, like just in the mm-hmm. history book, you know, like I don't need to go to some like YouTube conspiracy site. I can just like read the history story, you know. So. Um, so I guess I, I'm really lifting up my friends on the on, on, on the far left that didn't have that palpable sense of relief today. And even though you both told me you weren't sure you were having it, I sense that we're we, we, we can feel we can feel the spirit moving tonight. And I'm so grateful to spend my inauguration day with Lee Cato and Denise Anderson, pastors in the Presbyterian Church USA and staff at our office in Louisville, Kentucky, but working from home safely as we all are during the pandemic. Um, uh, our, their uh, website is pcua.org, uh, and Lee is uh, his journal is Justice Unbound. I'm Andrew Smith, and this has been a production of Presbyterian Voices for Justice. We're calling this Justice Devotions. Uh, this live stream will stay up for you to watch again or share with your friends, and it will also be archived as an audio-only podcast within the next day or so. So thank you both so much. Um, Lee, will you uh, do a short benediction for us? Uh, Denise did the invocation. Will you will you take us out? Yeah, I'll take us out. And I'll actually, whoever's listening to this, I think that is um, the benediction. Get out there. Um, as and, and both metaphorically and sometimes physically safely to, and, and to really investigate all that you're feeling right now. I think that's another thing is to really think about what, what are you feeling like? What did today bring up? Did you feel disgusted or did you feel hopeful so much so that it's almost unrealistic? Um, I do think that we should all be listening to like these feelings that I think are the spirit. Um, I've always gone by gut feeling and, and I claim that to the spirit. And so I do think investigate ourselves and to really think about um, what it means and, and echoing what Denise is saying. What does this mean for us right now? And what are we going to do right now? Um, Because that's what we can do. We have to do something now. And I don't think in this last four years, you can do a lot in four years. And so time is not on your, on our side um, to do something and change it. Um, So I think that that is my send off is to investigate ourselves and investigate the spirit and where that's calling us to go during this time. Well, may it be so. And everybody go in peace. Happy January 20th, 2021, a day I, I won't soon <laughs> forget. Uh, peace out. Peace, love and peace out to everybody. Peace.